Hello, I'm violinist and composer Hannah Warmer, and welcome to my new podcast, where I'll be discussing everything violin, classical music and film music related, plus anything else that pops into my brain. So make sure you join me every Wednesday. Hello guys, and thank you for listening to my podcast, The Rosin Diaries. So this week I'm going to talk about creativity. Um, and what that actually means. I was asked recently by an audience member from my online concerts on www.stage.com. I was asked um, what I think about when I play the violin. And that was an interesting question. And I feel like I should always... Well, I was told that I looked sort of very engrossed and, and you know, something was going on. <laughs> and I... I think you know you never know how to answer that question because it's such a long answer and some of it may not be what people want to hear um, so I'm gonna delve into creativity creativity is kind of like an iceberg so much more is going on underneath the surface So when as an artist you're asked to paint, compose, perform some work, a work, some work, <laughs> you're um, asked to portray something, almost like act it. You really have to get inside the mind or, or the emotion of what you're supposed to be portraying and put that across as honestly to an audience as possible. But for each different faction of art, there is a different set of tools and a different way of doing it. Um, so on stage, I, if I'm playing this lark ascending, it's portraying a lark. Um, I very rarely put my mind inside the lark. I tried to do it when I was younger, you know, be the lark, be the lark. It doesn't work. <laughs> Um, and the reason is there's a different sort of creativity on stage to in the practice room. And so getting across the essence of the lark and um, the feelings of that, it really all starts in the practice room. So that's where we're going to begin. And I'll also talk about composing a little bit as well because there are some similarities towards practice room and composing so obviously we're going to take the practice from the stage that I have worked on all the technicality of the piece but actually the technicality is very important because if you've got an idiomatic string writer that's someone who's composed a piece and for violin and they play the violin or composed it for piano and play the piano then um it's very good idea to look at the techniques they've used, look at the fingerings, the bones. The fingerings are what kind of finger you should use to play that note. Because on the violin, you can use any finger, really. And the bowings are um, how many notes per bow or the sort of bow technique you can use. There's hundreds, of, well, I wouldn't say hundreds, but tens, <laughs> lots of bow techniques. So, um, yeah, in the technical stage, I won't hang on it too much, but it's a really good idea to sort out the kind of techniques you are going to be using. And that goes very much in line. That's your first stage of 
deciding really getting inside the piece so we'll take like ascending i know it very well so we'll we'll take that as a, a mold for this and obviously you're portraying luck but you're portraying so much more than luck the luck is a well it depends this is yeah this is where you get creative so it's all in the practice room um for me the lark is so much more than just a lark it re is representative so um the composer rayform williams began the piece before world war Two. world war Two started he was a pacifist so he didn't go to war he didn't fight but then when after a while he decided he couldn't stand by and let all these other men die while he was sitting at home so he decided to selflessly be a um an ambulance driver and a medic on the front line so basically he was facing enemy guns without a gun himself which is very very brave he did make it back but the things and the sights that he saw in the first world did it had to have changed his outlook on life despite that he was a quite an uplifting person according to his contemporaries so um amid all this lark ascending i believe was his very first premiere from coming back it was premiered in 1919 so it's a year after first world war ended um and if we look at it, the piece within those eyes, it is um, bittersweet. There is such beauty and heartbreak within the piece. I'm making myself almost cry. I've cried playing this piece before. Um, it is an overplay piece, but it is so heartbreaking when you look underneath the surface. So really when I'm working on the techniques, even at that stage... I'm looking, I don't have to do too much with the bowing stuff because he's done very, very good bowing. But you want to breathe with the bow. You want to be uplifting when those uplifting points come. And, and even you can start looking into it, um, sort of the chord progressions. And that's where being a composer really helps because I know why I'd use those chords. So I can look at for a composer. So you really have to analyse and understand the piece and all this goes on in the practice room. So my thoughts and feelings in the practice room are very um, centred around the intention of the composer, what I want the audience to hear. The opening, da -da 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 -da, I've spent so long deciding, should it be in time? Da -da 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 -dun, or dun -da 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 -dun, or this slide up, da -da 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 -dun, it's so many ways to do that. And why are we doing it? So looking at the intention of everything I do there, um, in addition, Ray formerly has struck up a very good friendship with violinist Mary Hall. She, I don't think she was a pupil. I think she was a pupil at the Royal College of Music, but I don't know if she was necessarily his pupil. But uh, he dedicated the piece to Mary Hall. She helped a lot with the composition of that. She, um, you know, played through drafts and stuff. And they premiered it with him playing piano and her playing the violin. Then it later on premiered for orchestra, string, um, not string orchestra, um, small orchestra, like chamber orchestra and violin but yeah so in the practice room i am really doing the most artistic work i think ever and trying to honestly get ways to get that music across and i feel like the violin is a very uh, physical instrument i'm just going to take a sip of coffee mm. I'm recording this podcast in the morning. If I'm mornings are more pensive, I wake up with thoughts and I give them to you guys. Um, yeah, so 
everything I all the musicality I feel is done in the practice room and we are a very expressive and physical instrument the violin so I try I'm not very good I move my body around a lot when I play but I try and hold the trunk still of the tree as the metaphor I like and get that movement into the arms and it's almost a feeling as well with the instrument the connection between the string and the emotion they're, they're very we're as human beings we've learned to a lot of children the first thing they do to show the emotions is scream or cry it's vocal the emotions which is why I feel singing comes so naturally to people um, we have to learn as violinists and perhaps violins violin as an instrument attracts people who are quite physical in nature and it's very much arms and fingers um the pressure from your arm to the string can completely change the tone from heartbreak to beauty to all of that is contained and you can do it all in one brushstroke and so like ascending i focus on this piece because i feel like there's so many emotions in one bow um so working on that and that's a long process it's not just learning the techniques or memorizing the piece it's really getting into the heart of it and then we move on to performing it the performance and what we actually think as musicians So back to the original question, what what do I think when I perform? Um, as a young violinist, I found this really difficult. I didn't know. I tried to grasp on what should I think? What should I think? Should I think of all the emotions? Should when I'm doing spring, should I think of flowers? No, you just forget what you're playing. You don't think that. Also, I went through a stage of trying to remember every note, and that is so wrong as well. I think if you're well prepared, and you know everything not to think too hard and probably the the greatest thing to think about because I sometimes sometimes I can have attention deficit <laughs> deficiency in um performance you know if I've had a good time <laughs> I've been chatting before and it's hard to get your mind onto you know to quickly change and I find that very churchy of the online concerts where if you've been to one of my stage at concerts there's a lot of talking with a lot of fun and it's straight into a dramatic piece so it's quick, it's hard, it's a great training ground actually to turn your mind. And probably the, the greatest tool I have for that is to focus on my breathing. And then align that breathing with my bow. This is for dramatic stuff, but I think it works always. Um, and I first of all try not to think about the piece, or the story of the piece, or the background of the piece, or the notes. Because in that way you can just throw yourself, you can overthink it and then you forget what you're doing, you can really trip up. In the same way if you were asked to walk from one side of the room to another, if you really thought about every footstep and every, you know, you'd trip yourself up. You have to let it be organic, to be authentic. And so thinking about my breathing and the physicality, then connected to that as you play the piece, the emotions... You don't have to fake the emotions. They come to you because you've been practicing this piece. You've breathed this piece. You've lived this piece in the rehearsal room. And so when you play the piece, you can automatically... And it's really great to focus on the breathing and physicality because 
no matter what frame of mind you are, no matter if you're nervous or tired or upset or angry, just centering it back down to the breathing is a great tool to, you don't have to think about emotions. So it's so hard to answer that question because I don't know what I'm thinking about. The emotion just comes to me because it's not, it's not like by the grace of God, it's, it comes to me because the emotion is ultimately connected to those bow strokes, to those finger movements, to the breath cycle. And so, yeah, um, that's a good tip I would give to um, musicians still studying. Another sip of coffee here. But I'd love to hear from other experienced performers. What, you know, how do you feel about this? What do you think about when you, um, when you perform? I think it's best to not think about anything. To not let, you know, like, oh, we're, we're thinking, oh, the lark's flying, lark's flying. Oh, what's for dinner tonight? It's best to clear your mind and just let it come to you. But, um... I could be wrong. So let me know, assistant at online. If you write anonymous or anon at the end of the letter, then I will know not to read your name out. If you'd like to be a part of my podcast, you can go on my Anchor FM profile, leave me a message, and I will play the podcast for you. Um, yeah. But this idea of breathing technique, I, I didn't really discover it or get taught it at a young age. It, the first, it, it, it's gradually, um, my violin and performance has been a work in progress or an evolution over time. Um, and my earliest dalliances into this idea of freeing thought and letting, you know, letting what will come, will come. I'm not sure what come first, chicken or egg. Um, Leyland Chen, a wonderful, wonderful concert and recording um, violinist. He, um, I had a lesson with him in a sort of, it was a sort of summer school thing for people at uni, advanced players, um, it was when I was studying, I think. But at the same time, I was also looking into yoga and I get a lot of my breathing techniques from that. Um, so I'm not sure what came first, but Leyland Chen, I, after I did this class with him, I wanted to study with him further after uni and um the, i had to go travel he's up in manchester he teaches at manchester the uh, conservatory of royal northern and so i traveled up and but he was saying beforehand like minimum he does his two-hour lesson i've never had a two-hour lesson before and he said he even does like he's done a five-hour lesson before it's like whoa so when i went for my first sort of out of the workshop lesson with him um it was amazing because the majority of the lesson was not playing. Various breathing techniques, various letting my bow arm, it's all about the bow. And I'm very, it's all about the bow, about the bow. It's very much the emotion. I would say the right arm, the bow arm is the emotion on the violin. The left arm is the tuning and the, the pitch. Whether that be vibrato, uh, sliding, it's all like it's pitch control left hand and right hand is tone and um, I would say the emotion is mainly the right hand. But we did a lot of 
arm hanging, releasing the arm, complete and utter freedom, freedom of mind. And, for, and it, that goes very hand in hand with yoga. So I'm very into yoga today. Um, and I often feel the yoga classes, I've got a teacher at David Lloyd's gym called Rachel Miller. And her yoga is so... Um, it's hard to pinpoint it really because it's everything from fitness to um, spirituality and she really kind of doesn't plan her lessons it doesn't seem so too much and her lessons are really based on what you need from the class so if someone's got an ache or a pain then she focuses on that person and we do some exercises if we need calming she does that but um, after her lessons I really feel I'm topped up for violin Now the final bit, a bit away from the question, I'm going to be talking about caring for your instrument and I'm not talking about the one you bought. So as a young violinist, I suddenly became very, very conscious of caring for my body, my instrument. And, but overly cautious, now looking back, it almost became an OCD thing, not doing certain activities that were overused my wrists, not using hard weights in the gym, not doing anything that would harm my arms. And recently, through Pure Fate, I got given PT, personal training sessions, at the gym just to get me back into the gym after lockdown. Um, well, we're still outside, so it's all safe, guys, you don't have to worry about that. But she made me do weights she doesn't on a concert day make me do weights on my arm but um and I thought that overuse of that muscle would um you know overdevelop the muscles where I wanted fine muscles I was always into yoga which is long lean muscles not bulky muscles I haven't got any bulky muscles but I've got a few more now but what I found is um two days after my PT session I had so much more control of my bow. I don't know if it's because my arms are heavier now, because it's all coming from um, our natural weight. So the technique I learned from Leyland Chen was to let the natural body weight sink into the string so you're not forcing the bow, you're not overusing any muscles, you're not creating any repetitive strain injury, you're, um, it's a natural movement. But with this extra weight or extra muscle or anything, I can create further tones and further sounds and further emotions more than before. So I've completely changed my outlook on that. But caring for your instrument is a vital thing. Definitely violin services, that's what I call them. I don't know, taking it for a check out, making sure everything's okay. And we have to have our fingerboard shaved down every now and again because the acid from your hand will um, gradually corrode the dark fingerboard that we play on, what other things have to do. Occasionally I had a seam come undone once and I had to have that glued back up. Um, we have to have our sound post within the instrument altered, slightly kept in line, bridge maintenance. We have to change our strings, especially the high ones every three months. Um, and the lower strings, the thicker strings last a bit longer, bow rehairing, everything imaginable to our instruments that we, as I said quite crudely, that we bought. But caring for our instrument itself, unless you're a singer, often we don't think about that. Um, 
if you're a sitting musician, you sit in an orchestra, the number one thing we have to do a lot, and you know, sitting up straight, working those core muscles. Core muscles, I think, are so integral to playing the violin. Because I always go through this metaphor of us being like a tree, but it's true. Our, we have the inner trunk, then the branch of our arms, and then the leaves. And the, the most stable part of our body should be the center. I believe in breathing from the core holding it together from the core having that strength and, and i always play with no high heels on either because i like to be centered really centered into the ground um but in addition to that making sure that i mean i wouldn't overuse the finger joints but making sure they're nice and loose um i've added in now weight training to my <laughs> to my um camera injury i mean don't do this over the top but you know keeping fit keeping healthy also, um, there's two, if you're playing for long periods of time, orchestras play for very long periods of time performing as opposed to um, soloists who tend to just do um, concerto or, you know, I'm doing stage at concerts now. So you have to have a real stamina as an orchestral player, but you don't probably play, play at maximum as orchestra. For a lot of the time, sometimes you're just doing fine background notes, but other times you have the main melody, but it's not for the full two, two and a half hours. Um, probably one of the hardest things I find stamina-wise is chamber music as a violinist. So for the concerto, right, the orchestra, you're at your backstage, you're here and playing. They do a little warm-up piece, not like, you know, Beethoven symphony. Um, then you walk on, you do your concerto, then it's the end of the first half of the concert. Second half, it's the orchestra again, that's all you need to do. Chamber, lunchtime recitals, 45 minutes to an hour, that's okay. But a full-blown evening recital, a chamber recital, the full concert is you playing the violin, um, often from memory, sometimes not. I, um, I'll talk about playing from memory and not another day. But the stamina involved in that, so cardio is really good. Also, practicing, if you're just going into the big world of performing... A good idea I found is practice performing at night or playing at night. Much of your activity during, during university is during the day. You, you will be doing your rehearsals, your lunchtime recitals. Your practice generally is during the day because you want to wake up neighbours. Um, and I found when I became professional, I'm quite a sleepy head at night. And you know, especially if you're doing concerto and you don't go on first because you don't. Yeah, by the time it's my bit, it's like, is it bedtime? <laughs> so all of these things, keeping yourself healthy as a musician will give you longevity, but it also adds to the emotion. You don't have to think, you haven't got those achy arms, you're, you're not exerting yourself physically playing the violin, and that means you don't have to put any thought or energy into it, you can put it into what you should be doing. But I'd love to know your thoughts, musicians or non-musicians, on this subject. And thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Make sure you get in touch. And there's more from me next week. Thank you for listening to The Rosin Diaries. I'm Hannah Warmer. Make sure you follow me on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And i love for you to get in touch.